Hello, everyone. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs, and we are talking Manhattan. We got Nikki Beauchamp here, Johnny. Yep. I love Nikki. I, I've known Nikki a long, long, long time since the, the conferences in 2006 and 2007. So we're going on about 15 years, almost 15 years, Nikki. Um, pretty, pretty much. I actually, I think I remember when you started your blog. I had, you know, in 2005, for people that don't know, um, Urban Digs originally didn't know what it was going to be. So I'm like, all right, I'll just blog in 2005 about, you know, what I see in the real estate markets um, until I figured it all out. And then we turned it into Urban Digs in 2010. Good memory. That's, that's awesome. It's, Thanks for coming. You know, it's, it's been, it's been a long time, longer than we might care to imagine because in 2020, we all feel like we've aged 10,000 years. Um, yeah, but it's, it's been a good time and you've been a really good friend and a resource. For speak, me. Uh, speak for yourself, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you Nikki, know, thank you so much. You, that's first off, you're very sweet and you're, you're an amazing friend. So thank you so much. And same to you. So. You know, these yeah, days, so, like we all have more gray hairs for all sorts of reasons. True. Right. And if, and if I could, if I could just jump on the Nikki bandwagon for a second, I, I, I've known, I've known you now, Nikki, for several years. And um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this podcast because you've got a great grasp on taking data and using data in very interesting ways. So um, hopefully we'll get into some of that stuff later, but um, yeah, we'll get I'm to ready that. to go. But let's, let's start out high level, John, let's start out high level. Um, everyone's confused, Nikki, what is going on in the Manhattan market today? Well, I think a big part of the confusion comes from the narrative that's in the media. People, the media tends to focus on the, the highest segment of the market, which often has the biggest price discounts. So as a consumer, you pick up the paper or you see a, a headline go by and you see 30%. So you think everything's on sale. So then you talk to your broker and you tell them, well, everything's on sale. So I need to make an offer that's 40% below the asking price. And then as an agent, you have to explain, well, that's talking about this segment of the market that's actually not the segment that you're looking in and playing in. And that's where things like urban digs and broker relationships come in. And you can say, well, here's what's going on in the 900 to $1.3 million, you know, junior four, two bedroom market on the Upper East Side. That's exactly what you're actually looking for. Not the billionaire's row penthouse that just went into contract. So I think that's that's a big part of the confusion. And it's probably worse now because there's so much noise and there's so much information coming at people and everybody thinks they're the smartest person on the planet, but information without context is basically garbage. So, yeah. so let, me just, let me just ask you, so a, a day in the life of, a, of an agent here um, that's doing a lot of business on the streets, um, you have your clients, your buyers, you look at your buyers you have now, are you telling me that the vast majority of them just automatically assume the market's down 15%? 20%. They did. They did. Originally, they thought it was 25, 30, upwards of 30%. And what's interesting is that even some buyers have come to the conclusions, the ones that didn't get into contract earlier on in the pandemic, let's say, you know, April, May, June, yeah. they've started to think, well, gee, maybe I should have pulled the trigger on that apartment in June, because the relative discount from asking price might have been better than what we're seeing now. And yeah. some of my buyers, particularly like the two bedroom Upper East Side buyers, have gotten into situations where there have been multiple bids. 
and they have lost out several times. And sometimes it actually changes in the middle, the middle of the negotiation process. You know, right. you say, oh, you know, we're not going to go up another ten or fifteen thousand dollars. It's a little quiet. The listing agent calls back and says, look, my buyers or my sellers are really anxious to get a deal done. Will your buyers come back at their last counter? And while we're in the middle of saying yes, more offers come in and now we're in a multiple bidding situation, but not above the asking price. Yeah. You know what the most dangerous position is? Um, I remember when I, because we were buyers, brokers, John and I, and we only worked for the buy side. And whenever we put that bid in, like I, I start the ticker, the second I press the email, the send button on my email and the offer goes in, I have my little, uh, you know, time scale going on here because I, I know time's a deal killer, right? And that broker, if any interested parties that were interested, there's nothing to stop them saying, hey, listen, I do have an offer in. You know, I know you were, you came to the place, you see, saw the place two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Maybe they bid on it a month prior, especially this is for places that have been on the market for a while. And I always felt like shopping. I mean, I don't know. It's not something that, that, that. But I think I, I, it's really interesting because I think this is where the relationships that you have with other agents really come into play. And you can get a really good sense of when someone is sort of BSing you that yeah. there's an offer or there's really an offer. Because mm -hmm. I think we're in a market where if there is an interested seller who's willing to sell and a buyer who's ready to buy, like right. a deal can be done. But I think what happens is that everybody's kind of sitting back, they're on their phones, they're browsing, they don't know if they want to move, they don't know if they want to leave the city, they don't know if they want to sell their apartment and buy something bigger. So all of that general sort of uncertainty can sometimes come to the moment where the person's like, you know what, that's it, I cannot take it anymore, we need that second bedroom, we need that third bedroom, and then they act, and at that same time, the other conversation is is going. Mm -hmm. So it, there, and that's what's really interesting. In a way, there are no broader trends. Everything is sort of like hand to hand combat. It's yeah. that transaction. It's those people in that transaction, and what the actual motivations are. Now, th this is a fantastic point, Nikki, because you know, in, in many ways, the, the the trading world is very similar. Like you know, it's it's this herd mentality, and people tend to act the same way at the same time. So when there's this great deal of uncertainty, people are sort of sitting on their hands. It takes them a while to kind of realize, yeah, you know what, now's a good time to buy. But when they do, that's the same moment that everybody else is kind of realizing it too. So you go from reading all these media. Uh, pieces about there's an exodus, prices are down. You think, oh, there's no reason to buy, but well, you know, maybe I could use that second bedroom. Next thing you know, everything's flying off the shelf. So I, I think that's where we are now, actually, in the market. We're starting I, I to see that snowball think, rolling and I we're heading into the winter with a lot of momentum. I think that's where we are. And the other part of it is that there is there is almost fatigue. We have all, many of us have been working remotely for, I don't know, a lot of yeah. months. It feels months. like forever. We've basically yeah. been doing this for more of 2020 than we were out going to our offices and everything else. So I think that is really, really beginning to set in. Yes, there is this sense of hope because there's vaccines are coming and all of that is coming, mm -hmm. but it's not here now. So people are really trying to make their decisions so they can really go into 2021 with some sense of forward more momentum. Okay, so let me let's let's touch base on some things that we could touch at least here, a little tangible things. Um, you've done a couple of deals recently, Nikki, that you can uh, reflect on. Um, 
where would you tell me that these discounts are happening? For all those buyers out there that think the market's down 20, 30%, where are you uh, seeing negotiability right now? Probably eight to 11%. From eight to 11%. Eight to 11%, roughly. And, and could you give me a, a description without telling me the property of, of the general, is it the price point areas? You know, I've seen sort of the under $600,000 price point. I've mm -hmm. seen the one to one, three, one, seven. And then what I've noticed is that most of my buyers above two and above four, those are the people that their sense of urgency is less tangible. Some of them have gone to their second homes. Some of them are actually in the process of buying those second homes. So they have somewhere else to go and they're just gonna hunker down there. Each, each person in the household can have their own room. They can have their own place for Zoom. So everybody's not on top of each other. So they're just kind of hanging tight. And for some of them, the decision, they're not planning on selling their New York City places. Some of them are now starting to think, if we sell our New York City place, should we do it now so that we can trade out and trade up and get more space in the city? So that's mm -hmm. also now starting to become the conversation that's coming back because this sense of positive forward movement is really there. That's very interesting. So let me ask you this, Nikki. This is a great point because I think there's all, they are, there are a lot of people out there who are sort of sitting in their second homes and sort of using that as a home base now who may have decided to buy up in the city. And if you look at sort of the sales that have happened since July, since the reopening, the vast majority, which is not, not unusual, but it's a little bit more usual in this case, have been the sort of smaller under a million dollar homes. And I'm curious if you think that there's some uh, pent up demand that's outside of the city that will sort of trickle back into the city once the vaccines and the offices and all that kind of stuff reopens. Well, I think, I think that will happen, but I have... I've been seeing an interesting trend with that sort of under 1.5 buyer. These are, these I've, I've been experiencing, these are local people. Mm -hmm. They're buying for the first time. They are committing to New York. They're saying, we're all in, we're not going anywhere. This is presenting an opportunity for us to buy something a little bit bigger than we would have bought had we bought in 2019. Right. So now instead of buying that sort of convertible, you're now buying a two bedroom, two bath. And you're buying something that you think you can live in for the next 10 or 15 years. So that's a really interesting opportunity. And I've, I'm finding it really kind of cool as a native New Yorker to see other native New Yorkers sort of taking that, taking that plunge and moving those steps. But I think as we start coming back to offices, I think that's a really big key indicator because right now, if you don't have to be in the office and let's be real, most people, most of my friends haven't been to their office since February or March. If some of them, if they're coming in, they're coming once a week, once every two weeks. Sometimes what they're thinking is, could I buy something bigger, further away from the city because I'm not coming in as often, but I still want a place in the city because I want a home base like New York is home. So it's kind of like a co-primary trend. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you expect, I mean, you are feeling this, this, I mean, the market is heating up right now, right? Yeah. I mean, okay. Because when I look at the data and John's doing all these crazy charts in the background, I'm trying to keep up with it, but everything is kind of showing me that this is like the best we've been all year. I think, and I think this is going to be a really, really good month over the long holiday weekend. 
my phone and my emails are just kind of streaming in. People are asking questions. What do we do? Yeah. You know, is now the time? You know, I want to figure out, you know, should I go and get pre-approved? Because I was thinking about it, but now I don't know. But now I'm definitely saying. So there's that sense of forward momentum that's mm -hmm. definitely there. I mean, so if you're a seller and I, I just got off with an agent talking, I was like, you know what? I'm like, this is a, do I list now? Do I list now? No, we're going into the holidays. We usually slows down, but this is like, this is weird. This is not a normal year. I think, I think it really depends on what kind of property it is. And I think mm -hmm. this is where, if I were looking to list something now, I would go and reach out to agents that I know who typically deal with buyers in that submarket, let's say, and say, hey, what are you seeing? What are you seeing on trends? What are you seeing on pricing? What are you seeing on activity? And sort of try and get the pulse because the data does tell us a lot, yeah. but what also tells us that much more is the conversations that we have with each other. Mm -hmm. And I would use that to kind of plan and say, okay, do we bring it on now? Is the property even ready to come to market now? That's the, that's the other component. You know, has it been cleaned? Has it been staged? Is it ready to photograph? If all of that is gonna take two weeks, just say hypothetically, at right. that point, you probably should wait after after the new year. And I think that that's, that's a lot of it too. And people decorate for the holidays and you know that makes your, your photos are gonna look with a Christmas tree or with whatever yeah. for the yeah. next, you know, however long the thing well, is on the market. That, this, is, this is great. Let me just tag on. And that's um, a conversation I was having with an agent the other day and that's, and that's the price cut conversation. And uh, you know, looking at the data, uh, they feel like they're maybe slightly overpriced, but they're interested in, you know, what's the data look like for a price cut between say Thanksgiving and, or, you know, the New so, Year's. And I'm curious, what would you advise a seller here? With the price cuts, I think those conversations need to happen at the very beginning and agree on a schedule. So let's say every 14 days you revisit pricing and sort of have that continual conversation. And you know, after you have your listing appointment and you've got the agreement signed, have that conversation every 14 days. We are specifically going to discuss the traffic and the pricing and then make any adjustments accordingly. Mm -hmm, and yeah. I think that that sets the, the pattern. And I think that right now it's the holidays. You know, that can sort of skew the way that things go, you know, for between Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever, if it's going to be slow for, you know, four or five days or a week, yeah, I think yeah. that you have to sort of factor that in. And this year we had the fun extra wrinkle of a presidential election in the middle of things where it felt like for a while, like nothing happened. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that advice, Nikki, because every 14 days, it's not like you're saying to reduce the price every 14 days. What you're saying is you have that catch up conversation every 14 days, review what the traffic yeah. is, review what the open houses brought and in. I think, and I think what's interesting about that is that you should be having these conversations about what's going on all the time. Right. Not just every 14 it compounds. days. It compounds. It, it compounds so that by the right. time you get to 14 days in, you've yeah. had you know, however many conversations about the showing, the feedback, the yeah. lack of offer or the interest or what the what needs to be tweaked. So yeah. that by the time you get to day 14, it's like, yes, okay, let's do it. You know, I mean, you got, you got that model and you got the set it and forget it model. <laughs> you did it. Well, the set you... it and forget it, I think is it's a bad model, no matter which way you look at things, but it's yeah. especially bad right now 
where we, many of us are working remotely, including our clients. Everybody seems to me to be more receptive to having conversations with me whenever I call, primarily because they're usually trying to avoid the other people in their house. So there's, there's no sort of escaping not having those conversations. Mm -hmm. Right. Let me, let me dig into the pricing conversation because I think this is fantastic. And you know, you, everyone tends to think that there's thousands of transactions in real estate and the prices are up, prices are down. But you know, the, the actual reality, the nuts and bolts of any individual sale is it is an incredibly illiquid market. And there may be one or two direct competitors to your unit that may have traded years ago. So really pricing is, a, is sort of a living beast. And I'm curious, when you get that call from a seller, even if you have a buyer who's interested in something, in this day and age, like right now, December 2020, how are you? How do you go about the the pricing equation? I mean, and this is where the data matters, but also picking up the phone and calling the broker because something seems a little off. Like I'll call the broker and say, "Okay, so I see this. Were there any extenuating circumstances that we should be aware of?" Was there some sort of distress? Was this an estate sale? Was there a divorce? Like what was going on that may have led to perhaps a steeper discount than the others, if there are multiple to look at? And I think that that's where, you know, the consumer, there's so much information online. There is an abundance of information online. I remember when none of this was online and I haven't been doing this for, you know, 30 years where the consumer sees and they go, well, I see that they bought this for this. And I wanna know why this is happening. I wanna know why this unit traded for $40,000 less than the unit you know, one floor below and why, why are we bidding this way? And so the only way you can really get that information generally is calling the other broker saying, hey, you know, what was going on? You know, give me, can you give me some color on this? It's yeah, funny because you're so right, because sometimes, especially when the time period between the last sale and the next listing is so short, people can be so petty. It's just like, wait a second, if they paid a hundred, you know, if they paid a million, I'm, there's no way they're getting 1.2 for this. I'm not I'm giving you really $200,000 for a year. That's happening a lot more in this under 1.5 market because you have, you people, there are some apartments that people traditionally are only going to be in for a set period of time life changes. Part of what happened during this period, and I, sometimes you get tired of saying the word pandemic, it's exhausting, yeah. um, is that there are people that maybe would have left in 2023, 2024, 2025. So they all kind of left in a very compressed time period because yeah. when you're in a small space with lots of other people, you may, you may really feel that. You feel that you don't have the classes to go to, the gym, the restaurant, all of these things that are a big part of why people love living in the city. When none of those things are available, you really see what living in your space is like. And you discover that maybe the space is not well suited to the way you actually live. And you're only noticing that because you're not leaving your apartment for you know, 20 hours of the day. So I think that all of that together, but again, a percentage of those people would have probably been leaving in a couple of years. They just all left significantly earlier. 
So, but yeah. in that, in that sub market, you get the people that say, well, why is this apartment on the market for the third time in four years? And sometimes the only way to kind of give an answer is to say, well, I spoke to the listing broker for the last two times and this is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, once, once they get that clarity, that transparency, it's just all the clouds clear and like, oh, okay, move on. You know, yeah, it's just, they, they, it's move, they move on, they move like on instantly, but they don't know. And they, all they see are the numbers. They see the numbers. They see that things are, they see the numbers going up. Sometimes they see the number that went down precipitously. Like it, who knows? Right. All right. Listen, we're running out of time here. I want to talk really briefly about agent productivity in this, in this work from home environment, in this period, as you like to call it. Um, what could agents be doing? You're very good with social, with, with marketing, newsletters. What should agents be doing to really get their message across and, and grow their network, which ultimately is what it's all about? So one of the things that even I undertook is I undertook sort of an analysis of where things were in my business and looking at sort of infrastructure. So, you know, moving CRMs, coming up with a better marketing plan, looking at my social profiles. And honestly, early on, I was often calling people just to kind of connect and see how they were doing because I was actually interested in how they were. And what I found from that is that they would share with me how they were doing and kind of what they were interested in. So for some of my clients who started virtually schooling their kids back in March, they were like, oh my God, I would kill for like one hour of adult time a week. So I would say, okay, I'm gonna do a happy hour one, you know, one hour a week. And I would invite them to that. So sort of listening to what they wanted really, really has helped sort of tweak what I've been doing. And we've all had the time and they're all happy to chat and tell me what they want because what else do we have to do? We do we're not going to shows, we're, all of those things aren't there. So yeah. it's been a real opportunity to go deeper. And with what I'm learning about them, I am taking copious notes in my CRM so that I can use that in the future to kind of tailor future marketing activities. I mean, you just, you're just, you're just like warming up these, these seeds that ultimately would be nice it's, leads. There's, there's, there's seeds. And what I discovered during this is I've always hated, not that I've hated video, but I've had a sort of 10 year struggle with actually doing it. And people were like, oh my God, we're so happy to see that A, you're like alive and healthy. And we enjoy, even when you start ranting about people not wearing a mask on the bus, yeah. you know, just these little things. And it helps us to feel connected, even if we've taken a step away, or maybe we don't have as many connections in the city anymore because everybody's kind of scattered. So I've taken it as a real opportunity to go deeper with people. I love it. Find new ways of connecting. Of connecting. Like it's, yeah. we, we talk about social distancing, but really what we're doing is physical distancing yeah. because we can utilize technology to try and not supplement because I still miss like sitting across from people and having mm -hmm. a coffee. Well, I drink tea, but they can have coffee or we can have cocktails. I really miss having cocktails with, with friends and clients. Like that's, that's a big gap in, in my life right now, but we can still kind of do that a little bit virtually. And it's exhausting because we spend all day on zoom for work and everything else. Right. So it can be very, very hard to manage, 
and giving yeah. giving ourselves and giving everybody else the grace. Sometimes people just want to have a conversation with you on the phone. Yeah. So why can't I take a walk in Central Park and have a conversation for an hour? Like right. that's okay too. Yeah, I love it. Well, listen, this has been great. Thank you so much. We're running out of time, but um, I appreciate you coming here and, and talking a little Manhattan with us. Nikki Beauchamp, thank you so much from Angle Volkers. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We are from Urban Digs, and this has been Talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.